0: This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's $123 menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries. That must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's $123 menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome John Van Dusen from the band The Lonely Forest. John has a solo record out, and I randomly hit him up on Facebook and said, you should be on the podcast. Now, why you're probably thinking The Lonely Forest is an Emo, I had a lunch with jeff Caudell from game face and norm from texas of the reason and they were both talking about how they miss the shows that they used to have that had all different genres all different bands from hardcore to punk to indie and i think the lonely forest would have fit back then in the 90s uh and maybe other decades as well for people that wanted to hear different things during a show but i love The Lonely Forest, I think there's some amazing, amazing songs and songwriting, especially by John. And his solo record really hit me as well. So if you want to start with The Lonely Forest, start with the record Arrows, and then go check out um, his new record, which we'll talk about. I also wanted to mention, I was talking about Linkin Park and Chester Bennington, and I want to tell a quick story. When that album was about to come out, I had just moved to New York City, and I was 21, and the promo came in, and the band name was called Hybrid Theory, it wasn't even called Linkin Park yet, and they said, hey, this is a brand new band, we signed to Warner Brothers, Uh, you need to go see them in Philly, and so that's what we did, we went and uh, saw them in Philly, and they were opening up for a band called The Union Underground and no one gave two shits about Linkin Park and they were playing all the hits from that first record that you all know uh, or at least heard on the radio once or twice and got to hang with them after and I was wearing a helmet shirt and uh, ended up hanging out with the guitar player talking about helmet for 30 minutes but again... Ended up working the record for six months and kind of feeling like, wow, this thing is going to be super, super huge. And it was a fun thing to be a part of as a 21-year-old in the music industry, getting to be a part of a band kind of before they broke and then after. So I followed them. you know, I was following what happened to them throughout the years. And I think a lot of people that uh, got into emo or got into punk maybe started with Linkin Park and maybe started with hearing those songs from that first record and that band continued on and they were able to work and put out a bunch of music and it's unfortunate that he passed and it's unfortunate that uh, the band can no longer continue in this form but you'd hope that they continue to make music in other ways so the music is always there for us hopefully uh, you tell a friend that you love them today or yesterday and um, And/or tomorrow. So that was my little story about Chester in Lincoln Park. Here is episode 106 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with John Van Dusen from the band The Lonely Forest. I'll see you through hard times. Anacortes,
2: you know, it's a small place, but when I gosh when I got into middle school, we we had this brand new all ages venue open up here called the Department of Safety. And they brought so many good bands through Anacortes. And um I mean I saw T V on the radio, like the day in Anacortes, this small town, the day before they left on tour with Fran Ferdinand. Like that's the caliber of bands we had coming and playing this literally like 170 cap old firehouse. Um, and so I saw a lot of fantastic bands. I saw mostly a lot of bands that were really good, but they were existing in the underground world of music. A lot of bands, um, associated with K records down in Olympia. Um, I mean, we had, you know, Ian MacKay's. I forget the name of his project after, um, gosh, after after Fugazi. It was just one of the groups that he was in, but like um we had him through town. I mean so many good bands came to Anacortes. But um at the same time I was also, you know, right when I was getting to be maybe thirteen, I began listening to the big rock radio station down in Seattle called one oh seven seventy n And at that point in time the music, the mainstream rock music of the day was <laughs> it was pretty intense. It was like Everything from Disturbed to Good Charlotte to Linkin Park to, you just, it was kind of a weird era of like big rock, right? Was like 2000, and 2001? Exactly. 2000, 2001, that was like right when I started listening to modern rock radio. And so my parents would drive me down to see bands play. Uh, I would go see bigger acts. You know, I went down and saw, um, back when i was listening to kind of that i don't even know what you you would know better than i but the like finch thursday type bands i went and saw bands like that and then i i saw anti-flag i saw um rise against um i saw like reliant k i saw tons of these just kind of um
0: how are you finding I don't out about know
2: what them? Call them these bands
0: yeah um,
2: well, the radio state the end would promote their, they were really active in promoting like local shows when they were bringing through, bringing like, you know, big rock bands through town. Um, so that was one way, um, they had like a concert calendar and I would just say, dad, I want to go see, you know, MXPX and brand new, for example, I saw that show, um, that was heavily promoted by 10770N and, and, um, so, you know, I'd go to shows because of the radio really, um. And that was basically it. I, that was my only real access to bigger bands coming through town. Um, and it was cool because I, like I said, I had that, that world where I'd see these massive bands, the Deftones, whoever, just massive bands, right, as big as they get. And then five minutes away from my house, I was seeing these um, just incredible, you know, mostly experimental, but just underground um You know, indie rock bands, punk bands, um, just weird electronic acts. A lot of really obscure stuff came through in a quarter. So it's cool that I could kind of balance it out. Um, That definitely had a big impact on me.
0: I just remembered the band, uh, The Evens. That was the band after Fugazi.
2: The Evens, yes, I think The Evens played the DOS. I have to to double check. We can fact check ourselves. But (laughs) I just remember everybody being so pumped. Um, And at this point, I... At that at that point in my life, wasn't quite ready for minor threat or fugazi. I am now, but um, I was more interested in more melodic stuff. I guess at that point.
0: But, when did you When did you uh, pick up the guitar? Um, I would have been ten, maybe. So, yeah, I,
2: I um, I had two sisters, older sisters who were classically trained violinists, and my parents were musical, and I uh decided at a pretty young age that I wanted to I didn't want to play classical music I wanted to play rock and roll and um, it all kind of happened at the same time but with guitar I had no real training I just picked up my dad's acoustic guitar and started playing it wrong so I wish I could show you but I can't obviously but I would I used my thumb over the top of the neck instead of like under like up and under the neck the way you would you know So I'd hold just my thumb and I'd just play one string at a time. And then eventually I moved to one finger, like in the proper way, like up and around and then two and then three. And then I was just playing bar chords. And then finally my dad said, you know, look at your guitar lessons. And right at that time, I also started taking drum lessons and failed miserably at it, but I still played lots of drums, but I couldn't handle the, uh, like reading of music. And then I took piano lessons at the same time. So piano, drums, and guitar all kind of crashed into my world right at the same time I had an electric guitar, I had a piano and a drum set all, you know, readily available. Um so I was making noise, uh probably fifth grade was kind of when it all started. And my my dad actually would come into my room and play guitar and I'd play drums and that's how I learned um kind of the beginning of what it means to play with someone else. You know, because it's it's uh in my opinion, it's really common for people to learn guitar, learn the drums in isolation. You put them in a room with someone else, they don't know what to do. So I'm super thankful because my dad would come in and just literally would just jam with me for hours.
0: So That's so that rad. That was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it is rad. I know. I It's funny. I, I guess I don't talk about it enough. But yeah, very, very cool that my dad did that.
0: I mean, and being able to, like I said, being able for you to say, hey, there's this show I want to go to. Or, hey, I want to play music. And they were open to it. And for you to have that instead of, you know, having to scrape together your own money and buy it on your own or them telling you to quiet down, but them to, you know, your dad to come in the room and be helpful and again, you're totally right because being in a band is having like four different girlfriend and boyfriends. So you have to learn yeah. how to, you know, you're, you and then when you look at them like they know what you're thinking or you're able to change things or when you're when you're creating everyone's so vulnerable. But you were comfortable because it was your dad.
2: No, totally. Yeah, it's it's uh it is it's actually interesting as a side note, the, the drummer from the Lonely Forest, Brady, still a good friend of mine, he teaches drum lessons and he he is, you know, next level um, when it comes to communicating to younger kids. And that's what he does is he plays guitar and bass with these kids as they play drums and it's really cool because they they come out of that season of life with Braden being able to actually play with others. And most drum teachers, they don't teach that. They just don't. And so as a side note, it's really cool if you can find people that, that will um, foster that type of um, musicianship in someone, the, the ability to collaborate, the ability to improvise, the ability to read another musician and and not distract or to actually be able to compliment what someone else is doing is really, uh, difficult. So,
0: because a lot of bands, yeah, you, see, my, uh, you know, a lot of bands you see don't have, like you can tell it's, Oh, that's four different people on stage playing four different things. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it's really unusual when you see a band that's on the same page. I mean, it's funny that I'm bringing this up, but earlier I was going on this weird kick at work where I was YouTubing, um, like really massive bands and they're trying to find their first ever late night appearances, which I find really fascinating. And I found rage against, I'm pretty sure it was rage against the machines first late night appearance. And they were just one of those bands that they played so well together. It was, it's unreal how good they were. Um, but you'll find another band or you'll watch a band today and it just, it feels very disconnected. Like you say, it's like, this doesn't feel They just don't feel like one unit. They feel, um, well, I don't know. Like you said, they're doing their own thing.
0: (laughs) But that also goes to that heart part where I always, I think not even if it was together, at least that the, the people were together and you felt it and it wasn't forced. And, that's the thing that I mean, I was going to ask you about sort of, you're seeing those underground punk indie rock shows in your hometown and then you're going to Seattle and the end and there's marketing and there's all these, you know, things happening at these shows that are different. I gravitated. I actually never saw those bigger shows. Um, I the, Mm -hmm. uh, it just, I was only seeing punk rock and hardcore stuff, but I grab when I did see it randomly, I was gravitating more toward that underground part where I was closer. I could feel it. I felt a sense of community more than sort of like someone throwing marketing at me. Um, and that sort of, yeah. I don't know, shaped how I thought really early.
2: I mean, it makes sense. And that's super cool that you even, I mean, it's just cool that you made the, the distinction between the two. You gravitated towards the, the thing that felt real. Did um, you, did you like feel that when you were tangible?
0: Yeah. Did you feel that when you were going to both? Or was um, it just like I just wanted to go because it's awesome? <laughs> you know, I, I
2: think it, it it was feeding in me this desire, like within myself, to be a to be in a rock band. So it didn't matter to me if I was seeing this massive band at Key Arena in Seattle or uh, like a garage band. You know, to me both were very fascinating. Um, I think looking back, I learned way more from the smaller shows. Um, but at the same time, you know, and I saw a lot of bands I don't like now, like I will openly say, like I saw a ton of, I would consider to be poor, um, just bad bands, <laughs> but um, like the bigger ones, especially, I just think I went to some really funny shows, but some of those bands that I still, that, that I would say, you know, I don't really like them, but they put on, they put on really good shows. And I think that was something I took away from the bigger concerts with that. I, I do like, a bigger band I can put on a hell of a show. You know, I like it when they, they can play a solid hour and 20 minutes and it's captivating and it's, they've clearly put, you know, immense effort into their, their set list and how it flows and all these different things. And so I, you, that, and then like you said, like kind the kinetic energy, the raw power of like a, you know, a smaller basement show or something. Yeah. I, I think I, loved both of them equally. Um, but the truth is what I was seeing in a most of the time was much more experimental than, um, what I actually think most people got their hands on. I just think the group of people that were booking shows in a were bringing some really strange stuff in. And so that could have been part of it too, that like, um, I definitely saw a lot of stuff when I was 14, 15, 16, that I didn't understand.
0: (laughs) It was just, you know I kind of left thinking, What did I just see? <laughs> when did you find your voice Seriously. when did you when did you realize that you could sing? Oh man,
2: um, I think I realized I could sing in middle school, seventh grade, I began singing along um, you know with what I was listening to at the time, which would have been a weird mixture of like you know modern rock and i guess screamo if that's what we want to call it um, and i remember i had this this girlfriend at the time she was my first girlfriend and i was i had a cd playing in the background while i was talking to her on the phone and i remember very knowingly like putting the phone down and doing something but kind of singing out <laughs> like i kind of wanted her to hear me just to test the waters a little bit and
0: smooth move john I
2: really yeah seriously <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked, though. She she uh, she was very complimentary. You know, John, wow, you, you have a really nice singing voice. And then um, about that time, I started hanging out with a couple of friends, um, and we started you know playing music in the garage, and I started actually singing. I remember the first time I ever sang in a band, I was so nervous that I, I had this wireless mic. I had to go inside the house, into the bathroom, while the band stayed in the garage and played, and I could hear them just enough in the bathroom that I could sing into the wireless mic and they could hear me through the PA in the garage
0: holy shit and I remember nervous. coming back
2: yeah very very nervous and I remember coming back in and then kind of high-fiving me and just saying you know hey I think I think you should be the singer of our band <laughs> and I that was it you know I kind of knew I was like okay I guess I'll, I'll
0: do this what was that band called <laughs> we were called last man standing oh, and let fantastic. me tell you,
2: we're going to change the world. <laughs> we're going to change the world. <laughs> we, uh, we were really bad. We, uh, we did win the, the talent show in ninth grade, which I was very proud of. Um, my first, my first dose of, you know, that, the like the drug of people applauding and saying, I, I liked your song. I liked your voice. And, it definitely began me down that road of, you know, kind of pursuing that high. Um, that's it really did feel like a drug. I remember, but yeah, last man standing, we were something else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Name three bands and what it sounded like. (laughs) Um, we were a weird mixture of Wait a minute, start again. Like Don't that. sell yourself short, John. Don't say a weird mix. Don't say our demos out soon and then we didn't master it yet. Tell me three bands that it sounded like and be stoked.
2: <laughs> okay, we okay, Finch. Finch, for sure. Okay. We loved Finch. Um Creed, maybe. <laughs> um and Oh, man, there's just too many. I'm just trying to think of a solid like, but mediocre p- Newfound Glory. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, yeah, we were a weird band. We we loved, we were like a pop punk modern rock with some yelling.
0: That sounds perfect. Finch,
2: Newfound Glory, Creed. Although I'd like to substitute, if I may.
0: Okay, yes, you may. Curl <laughs> Jam.
2: Pearl Jam for Creed because let's just be honest, Pearl Jam's an amazing band, and I'd much rather drop their name than Creed. <laughs> um,
0: got it. So last not that man I want to bash Creed. Yeah. <laughs> so so last man standing, a lot of sold out shows. You guys got too big. What what was the next band?
2: Yeah. Uh, so basically, what happened was, you know, last Man Standing, we're doing our thing. We start. I remember we got some shows in Seattle. We started playing around the area, and then my bandmates discovered, uh, marijuana, of course. <laughs> and they, you know, it was kind of like the skating skater world. And I just remember feeling like I wasn't going to smoke weed. It's like, no, I don't want to smoke weed. I just want to play music. And they, um, they, it kind of, they began to kind of miss practices and cancel. And, um, which sounds really funny now that I'm saying it out loud, but it's true. And I was like, screw you guys. I'm going solo because of course, that's what that's what you do.
0: Yeah, that's totally what you do. <laughs>
2: you know when you, yeah, that's what you do. And so then I started playing by myself under my own name as John Van Dusen. And, and um, actually, that's when locally, that's when people really began to pay attention. I released my first EP at the Department of Safety, this all ages venue. It was sold out. They had to, they had to actually open the big garage door at the place because there's too many people. And I remember thinking, wow, I think I'm, I'm doing something right. And so. Yeah, the jump was from a band to my solo act. Um, and I did that for a couple of years and then met the guys who would be then become um, the Lonely Forest. So,
0: how, did, how did you meet them?
2: Um, Brayden and I met... So Brayden, the drummer, him and I were in high school together. We were in a play called Godspell. Um, and it's a musical... It's a really weird play, and Braden was Jesus in the play, and I was Judas. And um, in fact, I, at the end of the play, I, I tied him to an electric fence and crucified him with an electric guitar solo, if you can believe that. Um, and we so <laughs> we we met, uh, you know, doing this play together, and then Braden, you know, just being a fantastic musician, a very good drummer. I thought, you know, would you play? With me. So he actually played on my solo EPs um, before we started playing with Eric and Tony, who were older, out of high school. Um, one day, basically, Braden said, You know, I'm playing instrumental music with these guys. They're out of high school. It kind of sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. Um, so, sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana, is what I think I remember him saying. And they, he basically said, You should come try singing with us. And so I did. And we actually. Um, I remember coming into this garage. It wasn't finished. It was really cold. And there's Tony and there's Eric. They look super cool. You know, I just remember thinking, oh, these guys are awesome. There was like an empty bottle of wine. And we jammed for two hours. We actually have it recorded on cassette. And it just, it's crazy how quickly that first, you know, practice or whatever you want to call it, how quickly it happened. It it was unreal. So we, we became a band called Square Wave almost immediately after that. And then um, not too much longer um, after changed it to the Lonely Forest.
0: And then how was the, when did you guys, you did, what was the first thing in 2006 was Regicide, right? Yes. How did you get hooked up with with Jack and Dino? Yeah.
2: (laughs) So basically, oh man, it's confusing. So I was playing solo. Braden was in my solo band and I named my solo band, John Van Duesen and the lonely forest. Right. Ah, got so it was it. like this kind of, this solo band that Tony and Eric were not in. There was two other musicians in the band and we, we signed up for this all ages music competition, 21 and under battle of the bands in Seattle at the experience music project. And, uh, it's called EMP sound off. And we got in, we ended up winning it, which at that point, in Seattle, and actually just in the Northwest, this was a very high-profile battle of bands, about as high-profile as you can get. Um, we got to—we got free studio time with our win. We got an in-studio on KEXP, wow. which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is just, you know, and at this point I'm 18. Um, and on the side, so I'm playing solo, but on the side I'm playing with Tony and Eric and Brayden in this other band called Square Wave. So I had two things going on. We win this competition and I realize um I need to make a decision. I can't do both. So I decided to play with the guys. And that's when we decided to adopt the name Um The Lonely Fourth as our band name. And then we got this free studio time and I remember Tony was looking at the list of producers that were working at this place called Soundhouse in Seattle. And it's an amazing place. It's where Sunny Day Real Estate recorded L P two. I mean, it has all this amazing history. And um Jack and Dino's name is on the list and Tony freaks out because he's, you know, an avid Nirvana fan had been since he was like 10 years old. And of course, you know, Jack and Dino, he's the, like the godfather of grunge. He's all these amazing, amazing, amazing records. And Tony just called him. I remember it was just like, I I don't think there's any way in hell we we can work with Jack and Dino, but I'm going to call him and ask Tony calls. Jack and Dino says, yes, of course it sounds great. And so we ended up in the studio with Jack and Dino and, It took like three days or less, maybe even. And then we have this, you know, this EP called Regicide. And um, that was it. It it happened very quickly.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. It it seems like the, you know, the things are happening for a reason. And is everything, you know, were your your parents like, you got to go to college or you got to do this? Or were they supportive of all this?
2: Oh, no. um, Actually all of us had very supportive parents. Um, my parents, I mean, I can't, and we could talk an entire hour on how supportive my parents were. Um, you know, my dad was the first one to record my demos. He was driving me to shows. He would go to the shows, you know, he would go to the MXPX show and he had a swing and utters t-shirt on Like That's how like devoted my dad was. And, um, you know, um, even when I was in high school, my guidance counselor at Anacortes High School told me, he said, there's nothing for you here. I think you start touring and doing your thing. I think that's what you're supposed to do. Literally, my guidance counselor told me that, and my parents were 100% in favor of it. I didn't go to school my senior year, and the Lonely forest started touring when I was 18. You, so, didn't, you didn't finish you know, high you know, school? No, I mean, so basically what I did, there's a program in Washington State called Running Start, it allows you to transfer to a community college and accumulate enough credits to actually get your high school diploma. Oh, wow. Um, so I transferred to a community college and took, you know, like, philosophy, intro to philosophy and, like, current world problems uh, online. And when I started touring down the West Coast, I remember doing my finals, like, in a value village parking lot. <laughs> That's um, amazing. It was amazing, honestly I felt like a rock star we were not nothing near rock stars but I felt like one because my friends are you know at home in biology and I'm in Santa Barbara like smoking a joint on the beach
1: <laughs> and like doing my
2: you know doing my homework online and it it was incredible but the cool thing was that my parents were so supportive and um I mean to this day remain two of my you know biggest supporters but they they were all, they were all in. They were and they've always been all in. It's been pretty incredible.
0: What's interesting, I think, even about two thousand six, two thousand seven, is yes, we've got the internet starting to warm up, and there's things like MySpace and all those places that were things to do. It's obviously not as fast as it now, but you know, you've you had a, a couple releases before you kind of had that breakout, and I think. It somehow kept to you guys, i don't know it seemed like you were seasoned before something happened um and I don't know sometimes I feel like sometimes that doesn't happen, or there isn't that patience for it. I have very little patience now because of how quick everything is, like I'm mad when amazon can't get me something in an hour, like that's just you know right instead of waiting and sending in the you know the check and wait like that kind of thing, so did you guys feel that you were? you had these little milestones that you were hitting that you were, you know, touring the West coast or releasing an EP, but it didn't feel, did you feel like there was pressure?
2: Um, no, it didn't feel, I didn't feel any pressure. Um, you know, a lot of cool things happened, but we definitely put on a lot of, in a lot of hours, a lot of work. You know, we are the band that practiced multiple times a week, like four times a week. And, um, we, we were playing a ton of shows, paying our dues, paying, playing so many all-ages shows. And so I think when things began to happen, it felt natural. It didn't feel out of our reach. It didn't feel uncomfortably quick. Um, and, you know, what happened was we recorded Regicide EP with Jack and Dino. You know, we start playing higher-profile shows. You know, we played with Maritime and a lot of really cool bands that we liked. And then... um and then our guitar player Tony, we didn't know this at the time, but he got really, really sick. Um, like near death experience sick. And he, he ended up leaving the band and he didn't really tell us why. Um and that's a that's a complicated story, but he just he needed to take time. So we became this three piece and that kind of set us back a little bit. It kind of felt like a um like we've been they had the wind knocked out of us. And I remember I had been um, feeling like the momentum was good, feeling like it was great. And then, you know, suddenly we lose a member. And I remember we, we were remodeling our practice space and we didn't have anywhere to play. And we wanted to write this new record. And I had all these songs and there was a church down the street that let us like move in and rehearse in the, at like night. It was the weirdest thing. And we get into this church and it's the only reason we can go in there is because Braden, Braden's parents went to the church. And, you know, here we are. We're stoners. We're just doing our thing in this church. And we wrote this record, our whole full length. Like, it just came together really quickly. Um, Which one was A lot one? of the songs did. And it's called Nuclear Winter.
0: Oh, yeah, that came and, out.
2: Oh. Um, and it, it's a, such a weird record because it's overly long. It's a concept record about the end of the world. Um, it's very depressing and there's no guitars. It's only keyboards, bass and drums. And that kind of put us in our awkward phase. That's what I like to call it. Um, but we started playing a ton around Seattle and starting to get attention, but we were playing with these really heavy loud bands. And I remember like we played this metal festival called edge fest. I don't even know why. And uh, (laughs) we got booed before we started because I had a keyboard. Wow. And, it was just this really weird time and we were heavy. Like we were very loud, very heavy, you know, Braden hit so hard. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like we were just losing fans, but, um, it was definitely, definitely an awkward phase for us. Um, very hazy. Like all I did was smoke weed and walk in the woods and write these songs. That was literally my life after Tony left the band. And then, um, then, um picked up the guitar again and that's when i wrote we sing in time which i'm i'm sure you're familiar with if you're a lonely force fan and um we started recording this follow-up to it that was all guitar driven like noisy you know just kind of anthemic energetic pop music essentially is what i'd call it and that's definitely when things began to pick up pace for us and uh yeah bringing the, guitar, bringing the guitar back was a good move
0: <laughs> and then from so what I feel like I just said a lot that's perfect. that's what I want. Uh, the, a lot of words that I love it. We sing the body electric uh, that you know, definitely had we sing in time what 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 things happened? Was it like a tour? did you pass the did you pass the Mississippi or were you you know what kind of milestones happened then that you felt like okay, there's some momentum? Um, And was Tony back in the band at this point or was he still out?
2: So Tony was still um, doing his own thing. We wrote and recorded. We sing the body electric Uh, part of what happened, honestly, was I think we figured out what we wanted to be. We were a loud, um, but catchy rock band. And we really were loud. Like we'd play shows and I think we made a real racket. It was just, it was loud. And I, um, we kind of stepped up into the sincerity of the moment. Like, didn't want to shy away from the emotional stuff, honestly. And if you read the lyrics of that record, it's it's um it's very emotional, very private, very personal. Sometimes I can't even believe that I published some of those lyrics. In Nuclear Winter, the 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 prior record was um, you know, it's it's about a character, and I'm removed from it it's about the end of the world. It was, it was more about me getting high and thinking about like, actually been, had been reading my philosophy textbooks and, um, you know, the current event stuff. And so kind of going, shifting from like this big perspective to a very personal, my life sucks, but there's hope in the world perspective. It just started translating with the all ages crowds in our area a lot better. And what started happening was a, the kids started really coming to our shows. It was like, we were getting a better draw. We made this little, uh, like sampler with four songs off of the record before it was mixed. And we handmade a thousand of them and they went really quickly. And, um, yeah. And, and, at that point we weren't touring anymore. It was just local and it was just us playing these, like every show we could get essentially. And, um, we released we sing the body electric on this local label called burning building records. And, um, that's when, that's just when Seattle, I think really kind of turned and noticed us for the first time for real, like this is a real band. They aren't just, you know, this novelty band that won this, you know, all ages competition. They are a real band. And, and, um, there was a couple of things that happened. I mean, one was that Chris Walla, death Cat for Cutie, obviously, in an interview on like CNN or something, CNN.com name dropped us. He said, they asked him what he was listening to. And he named, you know, we sing the body electric. He said, that's what I'm listening to. And that was a big deal for us in Seattle because obviously he carries immense weight. You know, a lot of people respect him immensely. Um, and then we, we got, uh, we released our record and it was sold out at the show and then, we played bumper shoot, which is a big festival in downtown Seattle. And that show was sold out. And I think those kind of three things really, it it just, that's kind of when it began to happen. Um, And I actually, I would say is when it began to go uncomfortably fast for me, almost like I was watching Dunkirk. Like I felt last night in the movie theater, just like gripping the sides of my seat thinking like, this is going quicker than i thought it would kind of thing so
0: yeah i mean you've got chris wallace saying he's like like, you know loving your record you're playing this big festival uh you know local show and it's yeah i'm sure you are gripping your gripping your seat being like what is this email who just called me uh you know all these things are sort of happening when it was in this little community where it wasn't just you guys playing the show and going home there's all these other things you had to do
2: totally yeah no it was it was a new world for sure
0: and then you did the you did an EP with Chris, correct?
2: Yeah. So basically, what happened was, um, you know, we sing the body electric, got a lot of local feedback, and then we found out after the release that there were major labels that had been listening to it, and then basically we got a manager and an ama- like an amazing manager, an amazing booking agent. It all happened once we actually. Uh, we're opening for Jeremy Enoch of Sunny Day Real Estate in Seattle, and they, these manager and the booking agent, came to the show, and they all, they both kind of signed on at the same time, which was fantastic. It was a massive deal for us, and um, suddenly we have these labels flying out to see us play. You know, like Columbia and RCA and Atlantic, and all these people are like, "Hey, The Lonely Forest," and um, we learned that Chris Waller was wanting to start his own label and um, that Atlantic Records had signed on to kind of be the um, the partner in it. So it would be a, an imprint of Atlantic. And so we obviously signed with him and his label. And so then immediately went into the studio with him and um, the EP itself was really, um, it was like one song that we had recorded at a previous session with him and then a couple off of which would. Uh, a couple that would be on Arrows, you know, a little bit later. And then, you know, a song that we recorded in his living room in Portland, essentially, was that's what the EP was. Um, but at that point, we had already spent the time in at Sound City in L.A. to record Arrows with Chris Walla. So that experience had already happened when we released the EP, which I don't know if you've, I don't, are you familiar with Sound City down in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of blew our minds a bit. You know, here we are recording our our follow up to We Sing the Body Electric with somebody we deeply respect in the same studio where, you know, Nevermind was recorded and rumors and damn the torpedoes and you know, just the list goes on, we definitely were losing our minds. We didn't we didn't know what was happening. <laughs>
0: Now, with working with Chris, what was different? Did he challenge you? Did he... Because he, if you listen to the photography, you know, how much of it was done when you got there? Or was Chris being like, you got to add that little hook and I don't want to live there here? Like, how much How much was he involved in, in, in that part or any?
2: Chris was immensely involved. He he was very involved. He flew up to Anacortis um... I guess he drove up Dan of course, I should say, from Portland, and um he came to our practice space, you know, that same one we've been practicing in since that first practice where, where Braden invited me over and we we ran through all these songs that we had and he was very helpful. Um, because I think my my composition was a little bit more sporadic at that point. If you listen to We Sing the Body Electric, it's it's very it's kinda all over the place at times. And so Chris really kind of brought it in a little bit closer, um, cleaned it up a little bit and, you know, helped with that. And then, um, you know, he was very invested, super invested. And I, I, I will admit that I, I write a lot of songs. I am a, a prolific songwriter. I write all the time. And so I had tons and tons and tons of demos, demos for days. And he, he spent time with these demos. These are my garage band demos as in like the program garage band. They're recorded poorly, but he spent all this time with them. And, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the first track on air it's called be everything. Yes. But, um, he heard that. And my demos, I sent him came in alphabetical, uh, order on accident and be everything was at the top of the list. And so that was the demo he listened to first. And, I that was a song that was super private, very personal. I don't. I remember thinking later, like, why did I even include that in these, this batch of demos? And he, for whatever reason, the song just hit him really hard. And he, like, he battled us for it. He was like, that song has to be first. It has to be on the record. And you know, now I'm very thankful that he did that. But in the in the moment, I remember thinking, I wrote "Go Outside" as an intro to this record. It has to be the first record. So that's how invested Chris was. Like he he went to bat for songs. Like he said, you know, this has to be on the record. And, um, I mean, the guy's a genius. He, he definitely, um, added a lot of really amazing stuff to arrows specifically. Um, but it was a, it was a wake up call for me because the previous two records were super indulgent on my half. Like, um, I spent nine months recording me singing body electric. And I'd go in on weekends and I would get super high and I would just do whatever I wanted. That was how we recorded. Um, and our friend Sam Winston who recorded the record, he would edit me every once in a while, but really it was just up to me. And so to go from that to, you know, sound city with Chris Walla where I have somebody who I, you know, respect telling me no a lot, that was hard on me. It definitely was. And I wish I had been, um, i wish i had more humility at the time like i look back and think shit like i should have been more humble um and i wasn't but you know i could i learned from it so
0: i mean some of those songs i mean definitely the you know hearing that record i forget who sent it to me or someone had said Tom, you got to hear this this is up your alley um you know definitely turn off this song and go outside um for that one specifically like that that hit me like a ton of bricks i just like i was like holy fuck this song is awesome the video is awesome you know the you know the ending to it like what did that song come sort of complete or was that one that walla was like do this or do that and was there a battle for that one or was it kind of done
2: um as far as the like lyrics and melody and like i wrote that alone on the guitar i remember i was sitting in a my grandpa's old like retirement home in Atlanta so like I completed it brought it to the band the band started playing it but Wallace Wallace's contributions to go outside were more nuanced um but they had a big impact i remember he he had some like really good input to the drum like the rhythm of it and like the wh- like where some of the lyrics were landing um but they made they were they were changes that had a big impact so um, but really, you know, we had been playing that song at shows before Wallace signed on. So it was already a song that we were like playing live, but he definitely brought um, brought wisdom into it <laughs> and yeah. changed it for the better.
0: One of my other favorite songs on the record is Coyote. Yeah. Can you talk about I that can. song?
2: I can. It's um, You know, I recorded that in my parents' basement. Uh, during the like nuclear winter era and we think about the body electric era, probably I can't w- quite remember, but I would, I wasn't sleeping very well, had a lot of sleeping issues, sleep issues. And, um, basically what I do is I would wake up and I'd get stoned and my, my creative brain would just kind of go crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep because my, my mind wouldn't let me sleep. And so what I would do is I would just go in and I'd make noise. I'd write, um, in the basement and my parents, um, house where I grew up, it's right next to the woods and the swamp. Um, and so coyotes, I mean, you hear them all the time. Um, you hear, you hear frogs and coyotes. It's two sounds you hear. And, um, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the sound of coyotes, but they're, they're very, they can be very, um, terrifying. Like the sounds that they make if they've killed something, they just there's something about their sound that, that is very off-putting to me and kind of gives me the the creeps. And I just remember being very high, um not sober at all, and at that point in my life, um, I was dating my now wife and um I was repeatedly making terrible decisions like all the time. And I think she had gone on a trip to North Carolina and back to see um some extended family. And I just remember being so depressed that she was gone and the coyotes were howling and making their sounds. And I just felt like they were judging me and I don't like, not like almost like they, I know this sounds weird cause I was very high, but just, I felt like they were, their sounds were directed at me and how terrible I was. <laughs> so I, you know, I demoed that song and, and it came out really well. I really loved it. And then, um, Obviously, it got chosen for arrows and um the rest is history. I mean we it's a the demo I recorded isn't that much different from um the final only forest version
0: oh rad that's a really cool story. I mean, it was I don't want to live there. is that also high else <laughs> when you're high <laughs> Live there was sober actually live All right. there. I'm just playing' I remember complaining. I was yeah, well a lot of it was
2: high, but yeah, live there was sober. I remember <laughs> sitting in my parents my parents living room writing about it. And I had recently I'd my second EP as a solo artist, I'd recorded in Nashville and I'd gone back a couple times and just felt like it was a really sterile, clean, like you know, artistic environment and it was really off putting and then had been to LA and felt like LA was all about the money really and that's kind of how that song came together so
0: yeah the other thing i like about arrows and i want to talk about sort of what happened from it because i feel like this was sort of a big time for you were the videos and i you, you know pacific northwest pretty similar to the northeast in you know at least green and i just i it was funny i could almost like feel the like uh, dampness when I was watching the videos <laughs> like because there a lot of them are in, yeah. the, in in the forest so which was really cool and I it was something that I really liked I didn't I didn't know if that was something that you had wanted to or that was just out the back door and that's where we shot the video
2: <laughs> uh that is that is exactly it um we sing in time and go outside videos were shot in Anacortes um it's a wet place um we get less rain in Seattle but it is a wet place and um I just think the aesthetic here, the um, the cultural aesthetics, the uh, the environment, you know, the, the scenery, it all just made its way into everything we did. We couldn't escape it. So um, I'm glad it felt, um, you know, that way. It felt rainy and gloomy because that's where we live.
0: Yeah, definitely the northeast where I was definitely was very cloudy and kind of felt the same. So I definitely liked that. And then in that that time was obviously Wait, where. Oh, sorry.
2: Well I was gonna ask you, where are you at in the northeast?
0: I, I I live in New York City, but I grew up in Vermont.
2: Oh cool, man. I've sorry, this is a total side note, but because Anacortis in the Pacific Northwest is getting so expensive, I will like occasionally do like Zillow Zillow time, Zillow Hour where I'll just like look at places I want to live in Vermont's always up there, man. I love, I I love the idea of living in Vermont.
0: (laughs) It's very similar to the Pacific Northwest. It, it, the, I don't know. I I don't know if it's the, I think it's the latitude of just, it's, it's, it's rainy. That's, you know, it's obviously cold. Um, but there's like, I don't know. I feel like (laughs) there's like a bunch of crunchies, uh, like recycling's cool. Like, (laughs) like I, you know, there's no billboards. Uh, in Vermont so I thought that's nice yeah there's no billboards like and then the aesthetic of towns there's these laws that like if a McDonald's comes in A that would be crazy in itself but uh, they would have to make the sign like wooden you know and like not like the crazy neon yellow but like a subdued yellow Right. Um, and I kind of like I I thought that was everywhere when I like left (laughs) like I was so naive Where I was like, oh yeah, man, everything's no, Yeah. So definitely what what towns were you looking in? Um mostly when I
2: when I do my, my dream my, my Zillow time <laughs> <laughs> I was I was looking in the wilderness. Um I was looking at the like weird log cabins with like five acres that somehow only cost like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> um, but you know I mean obviously Burlington I mean I I, I don't know I I've, Vermont is actually one of the few states I haven't been to I think there's like four or five I haven't been to and it's in my mind is this magical place that I have to visit
0: you do <laughs> well it's crazy so now that you say that you've never visited that was how I was growing up like so few bands played there so it oh, was man. it was so hard to like like the punk rock hardcore and like you know, screamo emo kind of stuff like came through because there was a punk rock club, but the like giant shows. I never was exposed to any of that growing up. I didn't. I like it was just on TV, um, right? So it was it was kind of. So like You mean? Are
2: so you saying you didn't see disturbed in eighth grade with your dad when there were strippers on stage?
0: <laughs> no, I did not. No, the biggest no, okay. pro- the biggest thing before I graduated was probably. I mean, Warp Tour. And, no, that was. No, that was, that, was, that was after. No, in, co- in high school, I went to um, Montreal to see Rage Against the Machine. Whoa, that's cool. In 96. And that was, that was insane. That's awesome. That, that was probably top five show of all time. All time. Uh, I believe that. That's, yeah. They literally came they, out and just started playing Bulls on Parade. It was 97, maybe. 90, I don't <laughs> fucking remember. But it was just like, oh, shit, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh,
2: but I think sorry, for, I definitely took us in a new direction. I don't know what you're going to ask.
0: <laughs> it's fine. No, dude, if you ever if you ever do make yourself up there, I will uh, go up there and give you the grand tour. I um, had awesome. I had a I had a, uh, a friend I brought up there, and there's the Ben and Jerry's factory that you have to go. It's like sort of like the one tourist attraction. And my friend right. from college was like really <laughs> skeptical because I kept telling him it's a super small spa- place, like. You know, there's more cows than people. Like, it's just kind of like a small place. He's like, whatever, man. Like, it's, 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 it's a state. It's big. I go, I'm telling you, man. I'm going to run into people I know. And he's like, whatever. So we're on the tour. And who, giving, who gives our tour? Like, there's hundreds of people there. Um, my old guidance counselor. And so they like, <laughs> she walks in the room and I didn't tell him. Like I knew who it was and I knew. And so she's like, oh, where's everybody from? I'm like, oh, Washington, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, hi, Tom. <laughs> in front of like all these people on the tour. And he just looks at me. He's like, you're ridiculous. And I was like, I told you. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> That's really awesome.
0: Nerds. Hmm. Um, to the Lonely Forest, that moment had to have been crazy because you were getting... You talked about the labels. You talked about, you know, you released this record. And a lot of shit happened. I mean, I feel like you guys were on tour for like two years.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, I enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I, I liked doing interviews. I liked doing the weird, you know, acoustic radio stuff. Um, <laughs> I I enjoyed it. Um, the parts that I didn't enjoy were more personal. It the, the, my, It really it was weird because everything external in my life at that point was going very well. Right. So I just, I loved, you know, touring with cool bands and all that stuff, but internally I was not okay. Um, and that, you know, it, it had an impact on the band um, and that I was in turmoil within myself. And so I think um, there definitely was a, a tension at that time for that very reason that, like everything we'd worked so hard, um, at was, was really beginning to bear fruit. And it felt like, you know, it really felt like, like, wait, we can do this for the rest of our lives. Like if we just keep doing what we're doing, we've got it. But inside I think there was this dread because I was thinking I can't do this for the rest of my lives. I don't feel healthy. I don't feel sane. You know, um, at that point I was, I would recently been married and we got married. I left on tour like days later, a couple of days later. And, um, you know, it, it was a weird tension for sure. Um, and then, and then what happened was after Arrows, you know, we we were still on um, uh, Trans Atlantic, but then Atlantic got purchased by some Russian, you know, billionaire. And actually, I want to say I think it was Warner that got purchased, and then you know, Atlantic's owned by Warner. Anyways, all this crazy stuff happened with our label, which then led to the weird limbo period where we were like submitting like a hundred demos to Atlantic and trying to like figure out how we're going to keep going. And I think the combination of the weird, like label stuff, the industry stuff that we were not prepared for, you know, you've got these four guys that are basically a garage band from intercourse, Washington. Like we're not ready for that stuff. Mix that with the fact that within myself, I'm in turmoil. I definitely kind of, um, it felt like the beginning of the end, um whether I could put my finger on it at the time or not, like looking back, it felt like the beginning of the end, which is you know sucks to say, but I think that's what it was so
0: and then adding up to wasted hours that was that wasn't on the sub label right that was something that was out el- that was elsewhere
2: <laughs> yeah, so adding up to wasted hours um, you know kind of came out of that weird time um with the labels and the the title of the record is you know referring to being away from my wife um, on tour, and then the double meaning being like all the time we spent in negotiations and all the time we spent it just doing industry stuff that didn't really matter um, but yeah we we were basically what happened was Atlantic dropped trans records, and so we had to renegotiate with trans as an actual independent label. And then this woman named Alexandra Pat Savis purchased "Adding Up the Wasted Hours" for Universal Republic, um, and because she had a little record label called Chop Shop, and she's a very powerful woman in the industry. Um, so it seemed like a really good idea at the time. And then um, everything kind of like it was the weirdest thing. We don't need to go into it too deeply, but it really just felt like all the momentum we had going just kind of came to a screeching halt. And that record, Adding Up the Wasted Hours, really wasn't even released properly. Um, it was
0: like on iTunes. It's
2: like, oh, there it is. It's it's out.
0: <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't um, know it came out, and I was a fan.
2: Yeah, no, it, it was <laughs> as far as like releases go, and a follow up, especially to an, a record like Arrows. Um, it was a it was a flop. Like the way it was released. Um, everything, it just was done poorly. Um, and you know, we had an amazing management team and all these people around us and they were all kind of hitting their heads against the wall saying like, why isn't this working? And unfortunately the label situation was, um, it was just really uninspired and unhealthy in it. So it just kind of led to this weird, like, yeah, like I said, like it's out and nobody knew it was out. (laughs)
0: And Which, then and then that took you know, the wind out of your sails.
2: No, definitely. That that and lots of other things, lots of personal things, um that we don't need to get into if you don't want. To. But just it just really um it all kind of came together and um it kind of felt like we were putting a headlock. And I just remember kind of waking up and, and realizing like this isn't this doesn't feel good anymore. And um actually before before we even recorded, adding up the wasted hours, I when we negotiated with Universal Republic, I negotiated with the help of a lawyer um, the ability to record a solo record, and that's when I recorded the Universal sigh which, as you know, just came out like yep. a couple like a month and a half ago. So, like, I actually recorded the Universal sigh like while The Only Force was still a band, um, just because I wanted to. I had all these extra songs. I thought I should record this. Um, so it's kind of a crazy story.
0: That's nuts. So you kind of had the foresight that this wasn't going to be, this was going to end soon.
2: Well, you know, honestly, I don't think I, that's how I felt at the time. It was more because I had so many songs and so many demos that there was, there was just no possible way for us to record and release them all. I felt like I, being a songwriter, I was like, I want to record these songs. I really want to, um, I have to do it for myself. Um, but I will say that like, I think somewhere, you know, deep within the cave that is me, I think I knew that it was coming to an end, but I wasn't willing to admit it. Um, as in the lonely forest and eventually what really led to me, it was a, it was like a, a weird combo of like, my marriage isn't working. Something needs to change, you know, my life was changing completely. Like as a spiritual person, I was changing. Like a lot of things were happening within myself. I was like, I'm just not the same person anymore. I don't want my marriage to fail. And that kind of woke me up. And I realized like, I just, something has to change. And the lonely forest had been the defining thing in my life for a decade at that point, basically. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes these, um, you know, amazing, beautiful, big things, they just have to die in order for life to go on. And um, I just kind of reached that decision and that was it. And it's crazy, you know, if you, the last line on the last only force record is um, I just wanted to say what a beautiful way to waste our, to waste our time. And um, it feels strangely prophetic now. I know. I don't think we waste our time, but um, yeah, what a dreary way to, to end as a band.
0: <laughs> yeah. But so from that, and you know releasing universal sigh you would already kind of recorded the songs but what 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 happened after what things did were you doing to kind of reset yourself and put yourself out there again because i was really excited when i heard about that this was coming out because i had thought you were you guys were done like i didn't know if you were ever going to make music again
2: yeah um you know i didn't know either i knew I mean, I love to write songs. I love to make records. Like I love making records, long records with 12, 13 songs, right? That's my jam. I love it. Um, And when the only four is finished, my wife and I, we, the next day, basically two days later after our last show, we flew to Germany and we were gone out of the country for seven months. And then eventually came back to Anacortes, got a normal job. And it was just kind of like, okay, I still want to make music, but I, I want to do it in a healthy way, because I think things with the only force just felt like they got out of control, and um you know now I want people to hear my music, I do, and who knows what doors open, but really, for me, it's about doing what I love and what I love is releasing records and if I can like for example, my next record, like I'm just gonna put it on I'm just gonna put it on bandcamp, and that's gonna be it, and I'm okay with that because it still allows people to share in it and experience it. And so it's hard for me to say that I want to put myself out there. I mean, I am, but I don't really have, you know, I don't have the money or I don't have the, the label help. I don't have people like really pushing me. Um, but I do think it's better that way right now because it's a natural thing. It's, it's almost like I'm back to, you know, 2006 again. It's like, okay, I'll just do what I do. And if doors open naturally, then they do. And I don't know if this makes sense, but it sometimes, you know, it feels like people are, there's an urgency about the way they release music because they want it so badly. They want people to hear them and affirm it so badly. And it just makes me uncomfortable because it reminds me of myself, you know, seven or eight years ago. And I'm not that way anymore. You know, I feel like, I could release bedroom records for the next 20 years and I'd be okay. (laughs) Um, But frankly, Tom, I'm really glad you heard my record. Like, I don't even know how, but I'm glad you heard it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was a fan of you. So I'm going to, I am not a fan of a song or an album. I'm a fan of a band. And if I really love someone, I'm going to, you know, seek out what they're doing. And I think your voice there's something to it that clicks with me. I'm always the first if someone sends me a record and I get 10 to 15 20 emails a day from bands, which is awesome and I love listening to them, but you got to have the 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 voice and there's a way that you articulate and the way that you have some of the the lines go that really connect and I think from the this solo record that you did, The Universal Sigh um, I think there's some beautiful things in it that you were able to sort of express that you couldn't do in The Lonely Forest.
2: Yeah, thank you. Wow, that means a lot to hear you say that. I, I would agree. Um,
0: like, I actually but went it's really through... really cool to hear you say that. I went through a few songs, and I, I want to see if you can... Uh, if you will... I want to go through the record, and I want you to tell me if I'm right or not. Okay? Okay.
2: So Yeah, that sounds great. I'm actually... Just so you know, I'm putting on a jacket and getting in a car, but I'm I'm still with you.
0: Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, I I would say maybe like ten more minutes, pot tops. Perfect.
2: No, no I mean I'm greatly enjoying I'm g- enjoying this. It's just that I'm going to a barbecue with my wife. She says I'm getting the we need to go face. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> apologize for me. <laughs> Gave me a look. <laughs> Tell her we're promoting the record. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're promoting the record. He says. <laughs> She says, that's great. (laughs) That's great. Get in the car. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So she says, I love that shit (laughs) (laughs) in my head. That has a very death cap for cutie chorus. True or not? Ah, in my head.
2: Yeah, I'd say I could see that. I think it's a little redundant for Ben Gibbard. Like, I, I feel like he's not that redundant with his lyrics. He's, He's a more clever man than I am. But yeah, I could see that.
0: And then The Bigger End. That's the most Lonely Forest song to me on the record.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually why I released the single first. um, Because it felt... I felt like I wanted to share something that was somewhat familiar um, with people who liked the band. So yeah, I would agree.
0: And then Masterworks. The bass line reminds me of Muse. Oh, I can
2: see that. Like a synth bass. Yeah. Kind of like a fat synth bass. Yeah, How just droning,
0: just droning along. Uh, what else? Um, you never know. I mean, Mass Mass Affection, that one also has a little Death Cab for Cutie in there. I didn't know if you were like deep into Walla Land when you were listening to those couple songs, but I could kind of hear it.
2: Gosh, I don't know what I was into at that point. <laughs> mass Affection, I mean, that's... That's basically me trying to make. That's, that's me being indulgent, actually. Mass Effect is a good example on the, <laughs> the, the newest record of me being indulgent. Like, I want to make, you know, a kind of a strange pop song that only has three chords, literally, where I sing about playing Mass Effect and not leaving my house. That's, that's what that, that song
0: is. I like that. And then Absentee Heartbeat. Absentee heartbeat. I know. I watched an interview of you talking about that song, and without getting into it, yeah. everybody go. I will link to this when we post it. But go and watch the interview that you do about this song. Uh, it's beautifully done and um, played, and uh, worth the five minutes.
2: Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, it's that's by far my favorite song of the record. So I appreciate you promoting it.
0: And then um, for this record you released it. Are you going to, is there more touring? What's sort of the, or are you just kind of being like, I'm going to just release music and this is just what's out right now.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a little of that, but, uh, I'll be releasing two music videos soon for it. One for uh, don't pitch, correct me. And one for mind reader. Um, I, I just signed to a record label in Germany called Devil Duck Records, and they'll be releasing it on vinyl in late August. And um, so I'll be going over there to play some shows, and then I'll go be going back um, early next year for a second European tour where I'm just, just playing the Universal Psy and promoting it. Um, so there's still some life left in it. Um, but it, it, at this point, is has accomplished what I hoped it would accomplish, which essentially is letting people know, those of you who care, I'm here, I'm still making music, there's a lot more music coming. Um, and I thought, in my case, it was fun to start with something so um, straightforward and pop-centric, because the music I'm making now is much, much less that way. It's, it's definitely getting... Um, it's going in a in a slightly weirder direction and I'm I'm really excited about that. So um yeah, I, I don't really know how to quantifiably you know dis I can't decide how how much time it has left, but um I do think I want to release it on vinyl in the States, so that's something. <laughs> and um if if I'm hoping to tour the states as well and obviously Will be playing songs off of this record when, wherever I play. So um, I'm kind of fingers crossed, hoping to find a booking agent or hoping to find some bands when I take me on tour.
0: Well, it sounds positive. It sounds it sounds happy. It sounds like you've got a good space where you're living life. You've got music playing. You've got uh, you know some work to keep you off of it, and it seems like that seems to be a good routine.
2: Yeah, I'd say so Thank you for saying that I, I, um, I do feel I do feel like things are changing And I can't figure out how But I do feel like my My little life that I've had for the last two years Here in Anacortis is about to change
0: Well cool, well thanks Thanks for doing this
2: Yeah, are you kidding? Thank you I really appreciate it I, um, Yeah, I'm just I don't know It's nice nice to have a good conversation. So thank you for being a good conversation.
0: Can you name the provinces uh, west to east in order? No. Gosh. Did you know that uh, I I, I had a class in school where, because we were so close to Canada, we actually had a Canada class. I actually, that's what the only thing I remember Wow! Can you do it for me? Yeah. So th- there's a way to do it. It's 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 Basmo Q three N's and a P. That's how you re- That's how you remember it. Wow. <laughs> that's so intense. So where's Columbia? Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia. Uh, Northwest... Isn't it Northwest Territories? And then uh, Prince Edward Island.
2: Wow. Super (laughs) impressive.
0: (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of Canadians that can't do that. (laughs) I know. But the thing is, that's the only thing I remember. Other than, Mm. you know, other than, like, Montreal Expos trivia. Like, that's literally it. (laughs) (laughs) You know,
2: I... I give my wife a hard time about it, but... It's not that Canadian history isn't interesting. It is. It totally is. If you get down to the details, there is a lot of fascinating stuff about Canada. But I would argue that if you compare it or contrast it to American history, it is not quite as interesting. And so, um, you know, it's easy to forget all that, all that, uh, you know, the rich history of, of Canada. <laughs> um, I don't know if my wife's in your shop. I think she went into... The TV and is now playing Zelda, so luckily I She can't hear me make fun of her nation. You can listen to it
0: later. Go outside. Yeah, you turn off, turn off the song. Find someone to love.
1: Turn off the song, you can listen to it later.